Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1 and 2 Corinthians 4. Romans 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 4. A few weeks ago, we looked at the sacrifice of praise. Then last week, we looked at what it means to be grateful. Today, we're going to look at a little bit different side of it, the problem of gratitude. The problem of gratitude. Albert Moeller, if you, oh, I've got to show you this. So we went to Oklahoma, and I, I just wanted you to see this. It actually happened. We caught... Like so, Justin and I, my brother-in-law, I think fifty fish, these striper bass hybrid things. Now they said they're hybrids. I never saw a plug-in. I never saw a battery. I never saw anything like that. But man, we had a blast. It was so fun. So I, I, I had to have evidence here that uh, that I was actually out there. What's that? Actually, he did. The, <laughs> there was a the guy. There was a guide that took us out. And uh, they would be bait the hook. They would do everything. So that, that's my kind of fishing right there. All right. So problem of Thanksgiving, the problem of Thanksgiving. Let, let's go to the Lord. Lord, thank you so much for Grace Baptist. Thank you for the beautiful music that we've heard today, that's special. We do need to be strong and courageous, especially in these un, uncertain times. But, Lord, this this weekend we have taken to set aside to give thanks to you, but that's presented a problem for many in the world. So, Father, let's look at that today, and I pray that you're glorified by all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. The Atheist at Thanksgiving. So, 2006, Albert Moeller wrote an article about Thanksgiving, and this is, the, the, he, he referenced an artic, another article. So, Albert Moeller wrote in 2006, just whom does an atheist thank? That is the fascinating question addressed in philosopher Roland Aronson's... If you're named Roland, you have to be a philosopher, don't you think? Roland Aronson's article, Thank Who Very Much. How about that? Published in the current issue of the Philosopher's Magazine, so that would have been in 2006. Listen to what he wrote. Living without God, so this is Aronson, living without God today means facing life and death as no generation before us has done. It entails giving meaning to our lives, not only in the absence of a supreme being, but now without the forces and trends that gave hope to the past several generations of secularists. So there, there was something to look forward to. And what he's saying is, well, now we see that the evolution of society hasn't worked. So at the turn of the last century, the progressives had hope that there was something better coming, but now we see that that better is not coming. So what do secularists do without that? We who live after progress, after Marxism, after the Holocaust, have stopped believing that the world is being transformed by reason and democracy. By the beginning of the 21st century, the modern faith that human life is heading in a positive direction has been undone giving way to the earlier religious faith it replaced, or to no faith at all. See, this is the problem of the atheist. This is still his writing. Alone as never before, in a universe scientifically better understood than ever, we find little in its almost infinite vastness to guide us towards what our lives mean 
and how we should live them. Uh, John Lennox, the Oxford mathematician, he says, science can tell us what is, it can cover, it covers is, but not ought. It can explain some things, but it can never tell us how we ought to live. And this is the problem of the atheist. He goes on. To answer these questions anew, agnostics, those who, they, they say that you can't know whether God exists or not, atheists, those who make a positive declaration there is no God, and secularists, those who don't want any kind of moral absolute. To answer these questions anew, agnostics, atheists, and secularists must absorb the experience of the 20th century and the issues of the 21st. We must face today's concerns about forces beyond our control and our own responsibility shape a satisfying way of living in relation to what we can know and what we cannot know. Affirm a secular basis for morality. How are you going to affirm a secular basis for morality? If survival of the fittest is the case, well, then the morality would be the survival of the fittest. But he goes on, affirm a secular basis for morality, even while, especially in the United States, religion is being trumpeted as essential to living ethically. Formulate new ways of coming to terms with death and explore what hope can mean after the collapse of enlightenment anticipations. And those enlightenment anticipations have collapsed. If you remember Friedrich Nietzsche, the, the, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, the philosopher, German philosopher, he said that because God had died in the 19th century, the 20th century would be the bloodiest in all of history, and that has proven to be true. And I believe it will be outdone in the 21st century. And so we see that this, these enlightenment possibilities, this idea of explaining the world apart from God, that whatever the mind of man can conceive, the mind of man can achieve, the, the concept of exalting man, it's not worked, has it? It has not worked, and so now they run into a problem. And the atheists have a problem at Thanksgiving. So this is from Aronson's article. He said, hiking through a nearby woods on a late summer day recently... I followed the turning path and suddenly saw a pristine lake, then walked down a hill to its edge as birds chirped and darted about, stopping at a clearing to register the warmth of the sun against my face. Feelings welled up, physical pleasure, delight in the sounds and sights, gladness to be out here on this day, but something else as well, curious and less distinct, a vague feeling more like gratitude than anything else, but not towards any being or person I could recognize. What an awful situation to be in. He's experiencing gratitude, but he doesn't know what to do with it. Only half formed. This feeling didn't fit into any easily discernible category. Oh, you mean science can't tell you what gratitude toward God is? Evading my usual lenses and language of perception. His conclusion. Feelings of dependence and of belonging are appropriate attitudes of response by the secular person. He argues, so are feelings of reverence and awe. None of these need to be vague or fuzzy if their worldly sources are not ignored and they are not projected beyond our universe they become specific modes of living and experiencing our actual situation. Oh, really? So that, that pleasure, that joy, that, that unbelievable feeling of awe and reverence, 
that's just cells bumping into each other? Albert Moeller wrote this. In the end, he proposes that non-theists should imagine their own map of dependence that would trace obligation and meaning. To give thanks is to honor this. What does that mean? So here's the problem. Go to Romans chapter 1. Unthankfulness has consequences. The problem is unthankfulness has consequences. Romans chapter 1, look at verse 14. I'm a debtor, Paul wrote. I'm a debtor. A debtor. A debtor is someone who has a sense of obligation. Amen? And so Paul said, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we we need to not be ashamed of the gospel. I want to give this illustration again. I learned it from that Doug Wilson that I enjoy watching on YouTube. He's a Presbyterian pastor. He said, and I said this recently, but it applies so well here. I told you this recently. He said, imagine that someone comes and they're going to rob you with a gun. And they point the gun at you and you say, I'm sorry, I don't believe in guns. And the thief says, oh, I so I, I didn't realize you, you didn't believe in guns, and he puts the gun away and walks away. Now, would that be weird? You see, the problem is not that you don't believe in the gun. The problem is the one holding the gun doesn't believe in it. And that's what happens to us. You're giving someone the gospel, and they say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't believe in God. Oh, oh, oh I, I didn't realize you didn't believe in God. See, the problem is not that the one you're speaking to doesn't believe in God. The problem is that you don't. The problem is that you don't believe the power of the gospel. The problem is I don't believe the power of the gospel is strong enough. I have to find some way to persuade that person beyond what the Bible says. I have to reach into some kind of human reason to overcome what they are saying. And when the Bible says that that, that the gospel is the power of God to salvation to them that believe. And if they refuse to believe, you cannot make them believe. All you can do is keep Defending the gospel. I am set for the defense of the gospel. Look at verse 16 again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Look at verse 17. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from evidence to evidence, from proof to proof, from sight to sight. Is that what it says? No. What's it revealed from? What? Faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. You see, even here in Paul's defense of the gospel, what does he do? He immediately goes to the Old Testament where it says, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Well, what if they don't believe? The just shall live by faith. You must be born again. I don't believe that. You must be born again. Well, what am I supposed to do if I don't believe it? You must be born again. You must believe, you must believe, you must believe, you must believe. Well, I don't believe. Well, then you need to believe. Because it's by faith. I need more evidence. Well, you'll never get enough evidence if you refuse to have 
faith. So, the text says, For therein, verse 17, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. They know the truth. Now look at this, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. If only God would reveal it to me. How many of you have seen the sky? Verse 20. For the, what's the word? What's that word? Everyone, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being, what's that word right there? Oh. I just don't believe. Really. Why not? For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are... Read those next two words. What about those who have never heard? They are without excuse. Is that what the Bible says? It's amazing how many of us think that we are more compassionate than God. They're without excuse. There is no excuse. Amen? Laura pointed this out to me. How many of you saw that William Shatner, Captain Kirk, got to go into outer space? How many of you saw what he said when he landed? He was gushing. He, he was trying to express this gratitude. He was trying to express this awe. But he doesn't know God. And here's the problem. Look at the next verse. This is the problem. Because that, when they, what are those next two words? They glorified him not as God. This is amazing right here. Neither were they thankful. See, this is the problem of ingratitude. This is the problem. The problem of ingratitude is it has terrible consequences. It's not that they don't know God. It's not that they are agnostic. It's not that they are atheistic. They know God. They know who God is, but they will not acknowledge him as God. Now, they will. Why? Because they are without excuse. Let's read on. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. What are imaginations? Those things that we believe that are not true. Those things that the flying spaghetti monster. Those things that we believe that are not true. Thor's not coming down with his hammer. Those things are not true. Amen? But Jesus Christ is coming back with his sword. Because that when they knew God, I'm sorry, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And now, now vain, that's empty. There's nothing to them. Vain in their imaginations. And their, what does it say? What's that next word? 
foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That's the problem with the world. And we listen to them. Imagine there's no heaven. Well, you can imagine it all you want. He knows the truth now. He knows the truth now. Now, how many of you are glad there's a heaven? I don't want I don't want there to be no heaven. Praise God there is. Praise God that there's a God. And their foolish heart was darkened. And boy, those dark hearts do amazing things. Unspeakable things. Professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. And look what they did. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forevermore. For this cause, God that gave them up to... What are those next two words? Okay. Everyone, what are those next two words? For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covetousness, without natural affection. They even chop up their babies, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. This, this evil that comes, what, where does it come from? They weren't thankful. They weren't thankful. Hold your place here. Go to Titus. We looked at it in Sunday school this morning. Titus. Chapter 3, Titus chapter 3 and verse 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now understand, this is, do you see how this is the same thing as Romans 1? But what happened? But after that the kindness And love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, being being justified by grace. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Are you thankful for that? You see, when Jesus Christ came into this world and we're, we're going to have this whole month of celebrating Jesus Christ coming into the world, are we thankful for that? Do we understand that he, he came into the world to save us from something, to redeem us from something? But back in Romans chapter 1, 
in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. And so here's what happens. Because we live in a world where their foolish hearts are darkened. How many of you recognize that's the world we live in? And the United States is on this downward spiral because they failed to acknowledge God. That's where we are. That's the world that we live in. And we say, well, thank God for the Christians. How many of you thank God for Christians who take a stand? But what about when Christians don't take a stand? We just had it at the Christian school where they had an alumni basketball game. The girls had an alumni basketball game. And they allowed a flamboyant, open, sodomite girl to play in that basketball game, flaunting everything. And Mr. Dre, the head of the school, is the one who forced the other Christians there to put up with that. And when he was confronted by it, by our teachers, by the people in our church, when he's confronted by it, he said, well, the school board wanted this to happen. Really? Really? So there are no standards. We are going to condone and endorse this downward spiral in Romans chapter 1. Pastor, why do you have to be so mean? Someone needs to call these weak-minded Christians out. We will take a stand against this evil. We can't do anything out in the world, but in our Christian institutions, we will not tolerate it. Not for a minute. The reason someone like Dre can get away with it is because Christians allow it to happen. We want nothing bad to happen to that precious girl. Amen? Amen. But neither will we condone that behavior when she knows what she's doing and she's flaunting it because her mother works at the school. These things can not stand. There are consequences when we will not acknowledge God as God. There are consequences when we accept evil. There are consequences when we bow down to the culture. There has to be places where Christians can come. And it's a pure and godly society where we acknowledge righteousness and we eschew evil. Why? Because we're thankful that God has spread his grace on us. But what does that grace do? The Bible says that the grace of God hath appeared from heaven to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live godly and righteously, soberly in this present world. Grace teaches us something. And folks, if we think that we will reach the world by condoning that kind of behavior, by endorsing it, by, by patting them on the head, it will never happen. It will never happen. Do we be gracious? Absolutely. Do we love them? Absolutely. Do we let them participate? No. No. See, unthankfulness has consequences. That's the problem. What's our answer? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you have kids at the Christian school, if you have any connection with the Christian school, I think Mr. Dre needs to hear from you. What do you all think? Second Corinthians chapter 4. If you're a guest here, This is us. 
Are we supposed are we supposed to quietly accept evil? What did John the Baptist do? Stuck his fist, his finger in the king's face and called out his sin. Amen. What what did Nathan do to David? Thou art the man. Thou art the man. What did the Apostle Paul say to the church at Corinth? Do I have to be there for you to judge this? Your glorying is not good. Amen? And But we have such a soft, soft, soft Christianity. What's the answer? Realize that there is reality that is not seen. You see, if we allow the culture to influence us, if we allow the culture to make us like them. I had someone say that, well, you know, young people are going to be driven away if you use language like that. Well, how are they ever going to see a contrast? How are they ever going to see that there are a group of Christians that say, here I stand, I will not be moved. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And look at verse 14. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, that's our body. Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, they're temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. But why would you why would you allow that kind of evil at the Christian school? Because you're worried about the world. That's it. That's the only reason. You're worried about the world. You're worried about flack. That's where we've got to lift our eyes. We can't be too married to this world. You know, there might come a time where they tell us we can't have church. Well, we're going to have church. Right? Because the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. So we're going to assemble. That's what we're going to do. Well, what if we lose our building? Well, then we'll find another place to meet. Why? Because we're not focused on the temporal. We're focused on the eternal. This building is going to burn along with everything else. Amen? But, but the eternal thing is that we're going to worship God. We're going to gather. We're going to be God's people. And it's going to be a holy and a righteous people. That's what we are called to be. Amen? Someone might say, Pastor, have you talked to Mr. Dre? Not yet. Well, shouldn't you have spoken to him first? No, this was a public event. It'll be addressed publicly. I might even take an ad out in the paper. 2 Corinthians 4, look at verse 18 again. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, our answer is not to look at the world. Our answer is to be separate from the world. Our answer is to be different. We need to be thankful. Os Guinness said the worst moment in the world for an atheist is when she's genuinely thankful but has nobody to thank. 
when your heart bursts with gratitude at the birth of one of your children or grandchildren, or you look at a gorgeous sunset, or you hold your spouse and you are so happy that you cry tears of joy, or you have a prayer miraculously answered, how horrible it would be to be filled with gratitude and have no one to whom to say thank you. Christians have someone to say thank you to, and that's Jesus Christ. Benjamin Franklin said, To the generous mind, the heaviest debt is that of gratitude, when it is not in our power to repay it. Have you all ever been there? Someone's just so generous to you, just so gracious. This is from Moeller. Professor Aronson deserves credit for acknowledging the problem. The problem of expressing gratitude without reference to God. His proposal sounds much like the gushing expression of the late Carl Sagan's embrace of the cold, accidental cosmos. His article also performs the helpful service of demonstrating how the Christian view of life is so utterly different from that of the atheist. Dr. Aronson reminds us that one key and essential component of the Christian worldview is gratitude to God. Remember that gratitude to God, if that is an essential of ours, it keeps us from that downward spiral, ingratitude, fornication, lust, all of that evil, disobedient to parents, all of that that flows from ingratitude, from failure to acknowledge God as God. It's amazing what thankfulness does. What James Orr called the antagonism between the Christian view of the world and the secular view comes down to gratitude as much as anything else. The problem of gratitude The problem of gratitude. See, what gratitude does when we truly acknowledge the amazing grace, the amazing mercy, the amazing love and kindness, that causes us to to elevate our thinking, to look up beyond the mundane, the inanities of life, and causes us to say there's something better. There's a higher standard. There's a higher calling. There's a higher beauty. There's a higher glory. And it's Jesus Christ. And we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. This world is getting worse and worse. And we have a job. We need to go out and love people and lead them to Christ. And you say, Pastor, you just said, don't let the lesbian play in the basketball tournament. How is that love? It's by loving them enough to say that your behavior is so bad that we don't want our kids exposed to that. We care. It's not okay. Doesn't matter what the culture does. It's not okay. We're going to be different. Why? Because we're thankful. He's given us something. We're needy people. And we need God and we need His righteousness. That is, we put off the world and we put on Christ. Amen? And the Bible describes what that is. Is you put away lying. You put away lust. You put away malice. You put away envy. You put away all those things and you put on the righteousness of Christ. And you live that way in the world. And let me just tell you something. That's going to cost you something. That's what that whole second, that that second Corinthians passage is all about. Though the outward man perish, the inward man's renewed day by day. You may die. They may kill you for taking the stand, but that's okay. You can't scare us with heaven. Amen. Amen. Lord, we love you. We are so thankful for what you've done. We're so thankful that that your righteousness is revealed from heaven. The problem comes when the world 
and Christians, we fail to acknowledge you as God. We fail to exalt your righteousness. We fail to be thankful. 